Our Bible reading today follows on from last week, so we're in 1 Thessalonians. Um, So if you open up to chapter 2, and we'll start from verse 17 into chapter 3. Paul writes this, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we'd be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he's brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what's lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Thanks, Josh. Uh, In the Authentic Church series, we started off with a faith that works. Uh, We saw that the believers were were filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed, changed from worshipping idols to worshipping the true God. And we saw that the the Word of God thundered out from them. Remember week one, a couple of weeks ago? They were so impressive that people heard the gospel and they heard about their faith. Last week, we talked about a ministry that pleases. Paul talked about it like a mother cares for her children, like a father cares and educates That was Paul's heart in ministry. And today we're looking at a love that labours. And the question I ask right at the beginning is, what wrecks you? What wrecks you? What breaks your heart? I asked that question of Malaya because I thought it'd be great to hear someone else and how they feel about all of that as well. I remember Jackie was a neighbour and a former student. She had confessed Christ, uh, was in a small group I nurtured, but she struggled to grow And to put God first, her family were not supportive and her friends were uh, taking her in a different direction. I prayed, I followed up with a few others. I invited her to youth and church. And one day she said to me, I'm not interested anymore, Ange. I'm happy to be your friend, but I don't want you to talk to me about Jesus anymore. That's pretty blunt, right? I'm happy to be your friend, but please do not talk to me about Jesus anymore any longer. Well, that wrecked me. You're seeing a young person who is close to Christ, made some decision for Christ, now saying, I don't want Jesus in my life. I must say it's happened uh, many times since. 
And let me say uh, that a love that labors is a love that is anxious about the welfare of others. Loving concern affects the emotions that leads to agonizing prayer, wrestling in prayer, the Bible says, and often results in tears. A love that labors is a love that acts to care for others, and, and I know many of you have wept and been concerned for a loved one, a, a mother or, or father, brother or, or sister who have not following Christ and they're so close at times and you just call out to God in prayer. But a love that labors is a love that acts to care for others as well. And so as we look at this passage this morning, uh, I guess it forces us to ask the question, do I really care for those whom I serve? Or am I just running an activity, a Bible study, a a social group, a ministry, a worship service? And if I care, am I willing to labor in love for the good of those people? Well, the Apostle Paul, as we notice, he's not just an intellectual. He's not someone who just uh, teaches the truth and rebukes error. He's someone who feels deeply because it's about the lives of men and women. And we learn firstly, and there are four principles this morning that we must passionately love and rejoice in those we serve. And Paul had a passionate commitment, didn't he? Verse 17, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort, listen to that language, intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again but Satan blocked our way. I love that. He calls them brothers and sisters because that is what they are in Christ. He said uh, they were orphaned or they were torn away from them, separated from them. He felt like parents bereaved of their children. He said, I want to do anything I can to see you again. I'd love to get back to Thessalonica and visit you. But physically separated, but he was still committed to them. This is important. You can be physically separated from someone you love, but you can still be committed to them. He thought about them. He prayed for them. He sent Timothy back to report on them. He wrote letters to them. He labored in love. And friends, there's something that I need to remember constantly. When I look at you and I see you, and I do see you, that I need to be passionately committed to you. This is not just a job for me. It's not a job for anyone. It's not a job for Millard. It's not a job for Matt. This is not a job that we just simply get paid money for and isn't this a nice job. No, no. I need to care for you. I need to be praying for you. I need to seek your welfare. And we need to do that for each other. I visited a church a few years ago where a friend of mine was the associate. Um, he was looking after the young adults. It was a night service. I was on holidays. I thought I'd just drop in and and sit there, and then he came and chatted for a while, and I said, thanks, mate, I enjoyed the service, I might go now. He said, oh, no, I'll come back to my house, we'll have coffee and chocolate or something. And I went, mate, all your young adults are here. He said, no, no, listen, I'm going to go. No, you stay here. He said, no, I've been to church three times today, that's fine, I'm, I'm happy to go now. I said, well, who's going to look after these young adults? It's very hard when you're trying to have this conversation with someone, and I knew things weren't going that well for him there. As, and I'm saying, mate, Hang in there. Stay there. I must say, he hasn't spoken to me since. He left that church in bad circumstances. He went to a new church. That didn't end well either. He's now out of ministry. One of the things I always wondered, whether he truly loved the people. Whether it was simply a job. At NBC, uh, my encouragement to pastors, where 
almost the last ones to leave because I want to try and catch as many people as I can. I want to see them. I talk to them. I see how they're going. You know, I'll go out to the playground if I can and see if I can, anyone will talk to me, right? <laughs> because I want to be with God's people. We want to develop a culture here where we passionately care for each other. And David, pray for two families who've had children. David, where is he? Uh, that David and the other David, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Hudson, fourth child, hallelujah. <laughs> he said, I need some sleep. <laughs> That's a great joy. And someone else, Will, has just lost his grandmother. Suddenly, you know, unexpected, she's breathing difficulties and, and, and now having to deal with that. And we pray for your family at this time. Because we are family, right? Brothers and sisters, we need to be caring for each other. But Paul realizes also that there is spiritual opposition. We wanted to come to you, but Satan stopped us, right? He doesn't tell us how Satan stopped him, but he recognizes that the enemy has been at work. As he seeks to discern the mind of God in this situation, he says Satan has stopped us. Now, the Bible also says at times God stops us. In other words, God directs us in a new, a new area and... Uh, for example, in Acts 16, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So he acknowledges God stopped them. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So how he knows the difference between Satan stopping them or the Holy Spirit stopping them, I'm not sure, we're not told, but he recognizes some differences there. But I think we need to realize when we're doing ministry, even here, that the enemy Satan wants to destabilize this church. The enemy Satan wants to stop the work of the gospel. The enemy wants us to stop preaching the gospel. The enemy wants us to be divided. The enemy wants negative things to happen to the people of God. And Michael Holmes in his commentary says, uh, when we think about Satan here, uh, there are two ways in which we can go. Firstly, we must avoid ignoring or overlooking the activity of Satan. There is an enemy. Sometimes we don't even think about the enemy. We just, really, we're like secular humanists. We just think it's, it's just us here. There is an enemy seeking to work against the people of God. But secondly, he says, in view of some of the contemporary excesses evident in popular books and magazines, perhaps the greatest threat is that of paying too much attention to the topic of Satan and the demonic. God is the focus of Scripture, and paying too much attention to his defeated opponent runs several risks. First is the danger of breeding fear and paranoia by exaggerating the power of the devil. Secondly, there is the danger of appealing to Satan to excuse one's failings. Satan is at work, but God is powerful. God has won the victory. And we are told to put on the full armor of God. There is a battle so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Don't ignore him. Don't give him too much credit. And then he says, uh, you are our glory and our joy, verse 19 to 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. What does he mean by that? Well, the transformed lives of the Thessalonians bring him great joy. And when Christ returns, they will stand as testimony to God's authentic work through Paul, right? You are our testimony that God has truly been at work through us. And Paul's comments here about glory, literally boasting, you are our boasting in the presence of the Lord, needs to be clarified just in case you misunderstand Paul. 
with Romans 15, 17 to 18. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. You notice his glory is in God. He's not seeking self-glory. He is a Christ-centered and Christ-honoring perspective. He glories only in what Christ has accomplished through him. It's not about Paul, it's about what Christ has accomplished. And then he can say, you are our glory and our joy. Can you say that about those you minister to? Maybe you minister with kids' ministry, or you run a Bible study group, or you do something else. You see the people and say, as they grow and become more like Jesus, you think, you're our glory and our joy. Let me tell you, honestly, I, I sit back sometimes, I was thinking about it this week, and I look out and I, and, I know, and I look at you and I see where you serve and how you pray and how you care for your children and with families gathered here this morning and how you're seeking to raise your kids to know and love Jesus. And I smile. Not because I'm any good, because I see the work of God in, in you and I give glory to God. In one sense, I mean, I don't, don't use that language, you are my glory and my joy. I don't know, would you like to be my glory and joy? <laughs> well, we don't use that type of language necessarily, but it's a sense in which when you were grown, when you were loving Jesus, you say, thank you, God, because we're investing our lives in that cause of the gospel. But secondly, love, concern, and anxiety must send us out to nurture and protect the flock. So when we could stand it no longer, I love that, stand it no longer. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. There's a point somewhere you think, I can't stand this any longer. I'm going to pick up the phone to make that call. I can't stand it any longer. I'm just going to drive up to this person's house. Uh, this week, we sent David. said, David, just drive to the house. They, certain people won't answer the call, so just drive to the house. Because sometimes people in desperate need and you make that call. We don't want to harass people, by the way. That's the other thing in all of this. There's a, there's a genuine love, and uh, the love goes all the way to the end until they hate him or kick him out. Uh, we want make sure you don't get arrested when you're trying to care for people in Australia, right? You get accused, and they take an AVA on you because you're too caring or something like that. We're not talking about that. And that's a danger sometimes. You think, oh, I've already talked to them three times. Can I go again, or can I ask again? And, and there's a balance there, isn't it? But Paul says we couldn't stand any longer. We had to send someone now. But he feared that the trials they had suffered might have unsettled some of them. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. And secondly, he feared that the unsettled people might have been tempted away from the gospel and diverted from God's revealed truth, believing Satan's lies. Verse 5, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Friends, you need to remember that the devil, Satan, likes to put doubts in the minds of new believers. And a number of times I've seen people come to Christ, they get up and give their testimony, they then get baptized. What happens to them that next week? So many doubts, so many accusations. They have a fight with their parents. They have a fight with their brother. Uh, they fall out with something. The enemy seeks to attack us just when we're standing up for Christ. Marriage tensions, work stresses, physical illness. 
I remember a woman who came to Christ and I was doing a mission a number of years ago and she gave her life to Christ and, uh, and I said to her, the pastor, I was, how's she going? She's doing it tough. Since she gave her life to Christ, her husband's business went bankrupt. They got no money. And I'm thinking, how do you follow that up? Satan will use different things to destabilize our faith. And the best way there to protect people from being upset by trials is to remind them that it is a necessary part of our Christian life. And so therefore, we regularly teach on this, because it's right throughout your Bible, that if you come to Christ, you will be persecuted. If they hated Jesus, they will hate you. And that's just a normal part of the Christian life. Churches are shut down around the world. Pastors are imprisoned. Believers are attacked. I read a story this week of pastors' kids being dismembered and killed. It will happen, sadly, in the world. We have, don't sign people up to the life of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We sign them up to following Jesus, counting the cost, and following no matter what it costs. At my conversion, the fellow who led me to Christ told me it would be costly. Coming out of Greek orthodoxy and a Greek uh, family, we knew it would be costly. It would lead to shame and gossip and slander and opposition. The guy who taught us said, this is part of following Jesus. I was banned from attending church and youth fellowships. Suffered, others suffered verbal, emotional, physical abuse. Others have experienced shame and rejection by family and friends. This is in Australia, not simply overseas. But we were destined for that. And we taught people that be ready, be prepared for those things to happen. And some of my favorite verses are these ones. You've probably never had these as your favorite verses. Let me assure you. Do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? Now I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Why is that one of my favorite verses? Because right at the beginning of my Christian life, Jesus reminded me that when I come to him, he is far superior to anything else. I need to hold on to him. I have a, a pearl of great price, the great treasure in him, and it will lead to opposition. But trust Christ no matter what happens. A few years ago, I did a funeral, uh, not a funeral, sorry, a wedding. Sorry, they're quite different. Uh, I did a wedding and uh, for a couple, a lovely couple, and uh, a young woman used to come to this church. She's a Greek background, and uh, her parents were quite angry about her coming to church here. In fact, she had to move out of the family home because of the opposition and some physical violence as well. And uh, she ended up uh, meeting someone from, from New York and they came over from um, Hispanic background and, um, and they wanted to get married. And um, so the parents tried, spoke to the Orthodox priest to see if he would marry them in the Orthodox church. And he said, no, this guy's not Orthodox and he wasn't converting to Orthodoxy. He's an evangelical Christian. So the priest wouldn't do it. And the father wouldn't have a wedding here because we're Baptists. So he was stuck. He was angry with us, angry with the Orthodox priest. And, uh, and Catherine said to me, said, oh, we need to find someone to marry us uh, out in the courtyard. I said, I'll do that. Really, you can do that? Yeah, I don't have to do it in the church. I'll come anywhere and <laughs> marry you guys. And I was able to do their wedding at a function center. They had a little grass area up the back, marry them before Christ. And you know what they're doing now? This couple, opposed by the family, planting a 
Bible-centered church in Reesby. God takes even opposition. And if you haven't heard, it's the Anchor Southwest Church. Saves them, helps them, empowers them to do God's work. God works despite opposition. And Paul sent to Timothy, because of his concern, Paul sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage the believers in Thessalonica and to report on their faith. He sent him. Let me ask you, does it wreck you that someone you used to have fellowship with is no, he's been drawn away from God and his people? Can you think of anyone like that? Is there someone you need to visit? Maybe in your home group. You know, someone who used to come regularly and in this past year, they've stopped coming. Maybe COVID, maybe other stresses. They're not really returning your calls as often now. Someone who normally sits near you in church may need a, a visit or a coffee together. Someone you know is struggling. Maybe you need to make that call, that visit, or post that letter or send that email to strengthen and encourage others. I think Satan has used COVID-19 to discourage some believers. I mean, we were all put off, weren't we? Frustration, I'm so thankful I live in Australia, don't you? For some, many parts of the world, they're still in lockdown, they still can't gather, they're still on Zoom. We got Zoom, border of Zoom after like two or three months, right? They're still going, that's all they got. Satan could be tempting one of your friends, someone who needs to know to put Jesus above money or career or fame or pleasure. Take a risk, I say to you this week, do something, show love. Now, they may not change and they may not want to have a conversation because they've already moved, but you never know what God does. You know, my uh, new youth pastor said to me, it was so exciting on Friday morning. I said, what's exciting? I said, I, I caught up with an old friend this morning. I said, it's an old schoolmate. He noticed on Facebook that I'd become a minister at the church here at Nawi. So he said, oh, fantastic. Oh, can we catch up? Out of nowhere, 10 years. And they caught, got together talk for an hour and then they started to talk about spiritual things after that he came lifted up you know when you start talking about jesus uh, to people about jesus and god is opening up their hearts it gives you a great lift and great encouragement care enough to do something and thirdly we must rejoice in the news of faithful and persevering churches but timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. What a great relief that is, right? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. What encouraging news. The church exhibits both faith and love, verse 6a. The fellowship between the apostle Paul and the church is intact. They haven't broken up. They love him. They care for him too. Thirdly, it says that we now really live. Because you're doing well, we live. Let me tell you, so when I see you growing in, in, as a pastor and living for Jesus, I tell you, I really live too. Don't I? When you see someone in your home group really following Jesus and you're leading that Bible study, it just gives you such a lift and encouragement. And Paul says there's still more we want to meet with you and supply what is lacking in your faith. And in chapter 4 and 5, he's going to address some of these. We'll look at that next week. The call of holiness, being prepared for the second coming of Jesus. We're going to deal with that over the next few weeks. But he rejoices when he hears good things. You know, uh, on Monday night this week, uh, we, we've been having home groups uh, 
at my home Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. I'm only involved in one. And I just say hello to some of the other young adults who come the other nights. At the end of the night, one of the young guys said, oh, I was thinking about membership and baptism. I said, well, let's talk, right? It's 10.30 at night. Poor guy is going to leave. I said, have a seat. So Chloe, she left, went to another room, and here we are talking for 30, 40 minutes. Tell me his, his story, how his family, his family story and the pain and the separation of parents and so on. But how a couple of years ago, he'd really come to a genuine faith in Jesus. I said, I, I want to put Jesus first now in everything. Some of my friends aren't living for Jesus, but I made a commitment two years ago. Jesus is everything to me. And I want to stand up and I want to be baptized now. How, how we can arrange that? You know, and just a young guy. The, the, I don't often have times with the 21-year-olds these days. The other part, younger pastors have that. Telling his story of coming to faith in Jesus. I want to be baptized. So encouraging. And there are new believers. Uh, I remember a guy a couple of weeks ago when he's bringing his brother again tonight. He came to faith about a year ago. Joined our Bible studies during uh, Zoom time. Joy is now one of our youth leaders brought his brother along a couple of weeks ago to hear the Bible preached. His, his brother's going, wow, that was such a good message. So encouraged by that. He's back again tonight. See, doesn't that give you a lift? People wanting to be baptized. Others bringing their friends to hear about Jesus. And I tell you, that keeps me going for another week. Right? <laughs> another two weeks. Story after story of God doing his work. And finally, we must earnestly pray for the nurture and spiritual growth of churches. Verse 11 and 13. Our church and other churches. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow each, for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He prays that a visit might be possible. He prays for their love to increase and overflow. What a great prayer, prayer for each of us. He prays for perseverance until the coming of Christ, the parousia. And there's no greater stimulus to holiness than the vision of Christ returning. The last two requests, that we would be blameless and holy until Christ comes. What a great prayer for each other. Friends, what wrecks you? What will you do? One of the things that wrecks me is to see Christians floundering. May God help us to do something about that for the glory of his name. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Thank you, Lord, for the example of the Thessalonian church, their partnership in, in the gospel. And Lord, we do pray that you would make us blameless and holy at the appearing of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that we would be prayerful, passionate, loving, caring, and that we would labor in love for the good of others and for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.